Right, if you guys have a Bible with you, please open it to 1 Corinthians 15. Um, we, this, yes, this is our third week in 1 Corinthians 15. It's like one of the best texts in the Bible. Um, I, I, I loved uh, Happy Days growing up, and the Fonz was the coolest person in my childhood. And remember in the, in the intro to the show, those of you who have seen it, he, Fonz is about to like comb his hair in the mirror, and before the comb touches his hair, he just goes, and puts the comb away, because it's already perfect. I feel that way about this text. I'm a little nervous about preaching it. It's perfect the way it is. I feel like I should just read it, um, because it is really the apex, the, 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 the capstone of 1 Corinthians. And so let's just read the first couple of verses together. Um, and we're, we're going to cover all of verses uh, 35 through 58 through the end of the chapter. So a lot of text today. Um, if you don't like lots of Bible in a sermon, probably not your day or your church. But um, <laughs> hear the word of God from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we're just going to do 35 and 36 to begin with. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life until it dies. Please pray with me. God, I pray that your word would speak powerfully to us this morning. That this hope we have in Jesus, this ultimate hope, would animate us with courage, with purpose, with love. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you guys know what a, uh, a sand mandala is? You ever heard of these? I brought a picture of one for you. A sand mandala is something that uh, Tibetan Buddhist monks make. And in order to make one of these, they actually have to go undergo years of like the technical artistic training as well as sort of the philosophical training because there's a, a powerful statement in each of these. Now, what that is is grains of colored sand. Believe it or not, that beautiful picture, and these things are quite large, are painstakingly created grain of sand by grain of sand. And you could understand why the, the monks who do this require years and years of training. And the, 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 the process of making it requires profound commitment because it takes weeks of all-day work, hunched over this thing, doing painstaking work. It takes harmony. It takes several of them to do this together, and any misstep could blow this whole thing apart, couldn't it? So all of that effort, all of that harmony, all of that skill, all of that preparation, all of that care, they put themselves into this thing. And do you know what they do? As soon as they finish, they wipe it all away. It's a profound statement about the nature of life and reality, is that no matter how trained you are, no matter how much care, no matter how, how deep your love is for the work of your hands and what you put yourself into, it will all be wiped away in death. That it's all simply temporary. And the very best things that we can do 
don't truly matter because they don't last. And you're already uncomfortable, that's fine. We're talking about heavy things today. This is not lighthearted. We're all aware. Although we try and, we try and put, put cemeteries way outside of the city, <laughs> we try and get cosmetics that don't tell us we're getting older, right? We all know that no matter what we put our hands to, that our entire lives add up to nothing because death wipes it all away in an instant. You could be the best at what you do, the very best, you know? And that, that might be some of your plans. You're like, my work will outlive me. I'm going to be the next Frederick Olmsted. Exactly. You don't know, have any idea who Frederick Olmsted was. He designed Central Park, folks. He was a big deal in his day, and I just got a bunch of blank looks from people when I said his name. We're all trying to answer death. We're all trying to resist it. We're trying to rage against the dying of the light, as Dylan Thomas once said. Some of you are very highly skilled and passionate about what you do, and that's your plan to answer death. You're going to be so outstanding in your career field that people will remember you maybe a month after you retire, if you're really good. Probably they'll forget you before you retire, just being honest. You are going to create something, you know, a work of art that is going to outlive you. Or maybe you're like, yeah, the career thing, and maybe, maybe my, my path to answering death isn't going to be contributing to learning or being remembered in that sense. Perhaps I, perhaps I could just, you know, find my true love and have a family and then like, I'll do that weird thing where you live on in their hearts after you die. <laughs> all good things, but realize that if you live long enough, you lose it all. Like, I'm, I'm very committed to my family, but either I'm going to lose them or they're going to lose me. Right? Having a family is not your answer to the to the coming nothingness of death that wipes away everything you were <clears throat> and everything you've done. Like, okay, 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 okay. So not career, not family. I'm going to make the world a better place so that people who come after me will have cleaner drinking water and they'll have dolls that look like them instead of, you know, the old Barbie. I'm going to make the world a better place. That's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. But do you, do you realize that even if you do bring great transformation to a society, that society itself will not last. It too will be wiped away. You, you realize we're, we're, we're humanity like 5.0. There have been many civilizations that we know of before us all wiped away. So what's our answer? How do we answer death? Do we just settle in, live the, live the most enjoyable life we can, knowing that the darkness comes and that everything we do 
and everything we are is eventually negated, and it doesn't really matter. That we could just kind of pretend that it does. Is there another answer? Is there a better answer? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at, this, at, 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 at verse 35 here, we see how God answers death. First of all, God answers death with the power of life. When we look at this question that Paul asks, that Paul repeats in verse 35, he says, someone will ask, and they did, how are the dead raised? What kind of body w w will they come with? Okay, now, this was a, a, the ancients were skeptical of resurrection just as much as moderns are, and there is not, this isn't an honest question, this is sort of a skeptical mocking question, because Paul calls it a dumb question. In verse 36, he says, how foolish, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. Now, he's not only insulting them, um, but he's using fool in the biblical sense. A fool, biblically speaking, is one who leaves God out of their reckoning, who leaves God out of their calculation. So when we're asking, what is the answer to death? Answering it on our own is to be foolish, right? That, that for God, death is a completely different ball of wax. That, that for God, death is not an end, but a change. Look at how Paul, he says, how foolish, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. He's using a, an image of a seed going into the ground as human bodies do. That for God, when God is in your calculations, it is not an end, but a change. Why is that? It's because God is the creator. This is something we forget. Look at verses 37 and following. He says, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. And fish another. There are also heavenly bodies. And there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. Now, did you guys hear, those of you who know your Bibles, in Genesis 1, these categories of fish, bird, human, beast, heavens, earth, right? This is the language of creation. That's what Paul is recalling. He's like, hey, you're worried about, you think resurrection's impossible, because you've forgotten that God is creator, that God can answer death with the power of life. Not only that, but God has the power to undo death with that creation power. Look at verses 42 and following. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. That's our old friend, divine passive. You guys know what divine passive is? Jews of this era did not like to say God if they could help it, so they would use a passive verb, and you're supposed to just supply God there. So for instance, the body that is sown is perishable. It is 
raised imperishable. Who raises it? It's implied that God does. So this is saying God brings the body out of the grave. It's not some natural process. It's not something that's up to you. That the answer to death is that God has the power of life. That it's not final for him. And we see this actually throughout the Bible. Remember back in the book of Exodus, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt had a genocide plan for God's people. And what did he do? He started throwing the young boys in the river. How did God fight it? Well, he gave a special blessing to the people so that they would have way more babies than they could get rid of, right? God didn't meet death power with death power. Eventually, he outdid him in that too. But God shows who he is. He outdid him with life power. In our world, death is like this trump card. It's sort of this ultimate power. A famous definition of the state is that the state has a monopoly on violence. They're the ones who, if you, if you, if you go too far past what the state wants you to do, can end your life, right? It's this ultimate terror. It's this ultimate thing. There's nothing in our world stronger than death. And if that's true, if we leave God out of our calculations, we're right to despair. The, 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 the San Mandala speaks a great truth. If there is no God with the power of life. So how is God going to use the power of life? He is going to use the power of life in that he's going to answer death with more life. Now look at verse 44. We already saw this pattern of what goes into the ground is like a seed and what comes up is, is a plant. It, it continues. He says, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So first of all, we see it's that, that God is going to answer death with greater physical life. Now, spiritual body may sound like jumbo shrimp to you, and that can be confusing. Is it spirit or is it body? The answer is it's both. Okay? In the New Testament, spiritual doesn't mean non-body. It means from the Holy Spirit. Okay? That can confuse a lot of people. When the writers in the New Testament are saying it's a spiritual body, it means it's a, it's a body that is raised and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's not an oxymoron. The, the idea here is that your and my resurrection body is going to be the difference between seed and plant. Right, let's, let's, we have a, an acorn, and it's named Mindy. I don't know why I named it, but imagine you got Mindy the acorn, and Mindy the acorn goes into the ground. At some point, it stops being an acorn. It dies, yes? Right? And then an oak tree. Ac oak trees grow out of acorns, right, guys? That's okay. <laughs> I didn't want to really say something wrong and misinform you on, uh, on agriculture and arboretum, or whatever that study's called. <laughs> Aborology. So this, this great oak tree grows out of the ground where we planted many. Is Mindy, is Mindy gone? No. Mindy went from acorn to oak. There's Mindy. Doesn't look like it anymore, but that is her, isn't it? That's the same idea, is that we don't just come back with the same body, right? Like, 
Like, oh, I had bangs when I died. I'm going to have bangs. No, that's not the idea. Although I could use some bangs. Instead, it's that this body is in there in the same way Mindy the acorn is in Mindy the oak tree, right? That we are raised to greater physical life and also to greater spiritual life. Uh, Continuing on, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Um, the, 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 oh, I don't want to get too complicated here. The Hebrew is nefesh hayah. It means like breathed into, okay? Like spirit is like breath. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The point there being that a living being is less than a life-giving spirit. Does that make sense? Okay, so life-giving spirit, greater. Jesus, greater than Adam. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual, from lesser to greater. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are on of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, that is, Christ, who, who, had a, who was greater spiritually, Adam or Jesus? It's Jesus, right? Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is God. That, and we are going to bear his image. So not only do we rise from death to greater physical life, God answers death by raising us to greater spiritual life. Okay, our connection with God our awareness of spiritual reality, our internal non-physical wholeness will be much greater than it is now. A great picture of this. Um, There's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. Anybody ever read this thing? Yeah, I've referred to it a few times. You might want to read it. It's like an afternoon. It's great. So in The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis uh, is is on a bus as the citizens of hell are like given a field trip to heaven for a day and they can stay if they want to. And instead of heaven being less physical, it's more physical. When the, the people on the bus get off, the sun's too bright, they can't handle it. The grass pokes through their feet because, it, because they're not heavy enough, they're not solid enough to walk on it. He tries to get a drink of water from a stream and it's like, it's like landing on concrete for him. And the, 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 the people who are resurrected, they, don't, they aren't phantoms. They're solid. They're more physical. They're more spiritual. Right? That's, the, that's the idea of what waits for us, of how God is going to use his creation power to answer death with greater life. Each and every one of us has problems with our bodies and internally. Okay. For us to lose our physical health, for us to suffer in our spiritual and emotional health is a real loss. It is a condition of being affected by sin. Each and every one of us are. And it's even more painful as we get older and we lose more and more of our bodies. Now, the, the, the comfort here, of course, is that 
even though as we get older, our physical bodies waste away, we can still grow closer to Jesus and be healed spiritually. But that is nothing compared to what waits for us in answer to death. We are not wiped away. Instead, we are raised to more life than we lost. And th this is a, like, as I said, our culture has a really hard time reckoning with this fact that we all must go to the grave. The health and fitness industry, and I'm all for being healthy and fit, but it, it kind of promises eternal youth. It can't deliver. You know, the, 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 num the dollars spent per year on anti-aging cosmetics and, and, and cosmetic surgery is truly staggering. We cannot accept the fact that this is coming for us. Horcruxes are another huge problem with being unable to... <laughs> I hope Samantha Coho is, is at home watching because she would appreciate that. <laughs> but no, that's the idea, right? I mean, if, if you've read Harry Potter, you know that, that that is one of the major issues is the inability to reckon with this stark fact, being unable to answer it. But in the gospel, God does answer it. God has the power of creation, and he will use it to give us greater life than we lose. But not only that, there is a, Paul builds up to a real apex here. Let, let's, just, let's just look at the text and let him take us there, right? In verse 50, he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying physical bodies can't inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying, as you are, you need to be changed. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. The, the, the Greek word there is actually atomai, it's like in an atom, the smallest particle they knew of. It's this, this sudden change that comes over the world. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. Now that must, it's not saying it has to, it's, it's, a, it's a stronger future tense. Not just it will, it must. This must happen. It is going to happen, not possibly happen. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So that's an image of like something dropping into the ocean and it being swallowed by the ocean, right? That, that's the image he's giving you of death being buried beneath the ocean. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Again, another image of death as like a poisonous, venomous animal with its stinger removed. How does this happen? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. God answers death with the victory of Jesus. That Jesus defeated death in the past, and he will again defeat death. Now, how does this work? How did he defeat death in the past and still have to defeat death fully and finally? Okay, you may not know this, but World War II, especially the war in the East, the Germans against the Russians, ended in 1943. It was decided in August 1943, a place called the Battle of Kursk. Titanic battle, millions of men there, uh, huge amounts of tanks, still the biggest tank battle in world history. And the Germans lost it. And it was their last attempt to win the war. And you're going to say, wait a second, how did they lose in August 1943 if the Germans didn't surrender until April 1945? It's because the defeat took a long time. There was two years of bloody fighting during that defeat. Even though the power of the Nazis was broken at Kursk, even though they could no longer win, the, the, the outcome was certain after Kursk. They didn't surrender until 1945. That's the same idea. When Jesus rose from the dead, he beat death. He defeated death. Death could no longer win. But the surrender has not yet come. The full and final victory when the dead are raised. And that's what we see is going to signal the full and final victory. Is not just that Christ is raised, but that those in Christ are raised. That the, the mortal puts on immortality and the perishable puts on, puts on the imperishable. When death is answered for you and for me, God answers death fully and finally with Christ's victory. This is good news because death is always one in our experience. We've lost a lot to death. Each and every one of us has. We've lost friends. We've lost parents. We've lost siblings. We've lost spouses. We've lost children. And we will lose more. The resurrection of Christ was the first time that death had to give it back. And it's not done. That a day comes when God will fully and finally answer death and death is going to have to give it all back. God answers death. God answers death with the power of life. God answers death with greater life than we lost, and he answers it with Christ's victory. What, is the, what do we do as a result of this? How does this change how we live right now? That's Paul's next and final concern. Look at verse 58 with me. He says, therefore, and this is, the, and this is the end point of 1 Corinthians, okay? Everything is housekeeping after this. It's like, bring me my cloak. Let's take up a collection, right? But this is, the, uh, this is the, the big command of 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that what your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Instead of death wiping everything into nothingness and pointlessness and vanity, that because God answers death, your work is not in vain. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. We need to live like this matters. This is not a throwaway. This is not a warm-up. What we do in this life matters. I once um, visited friends in Zagreb, Croatia. And these, these guys that I was visiting, they lived in temporary housing, an apartment uh, development called Folka. And the temporary nature of Folka was apparent. It was... Um, ugly. <laughs> the ceilings were like this low. There was pipes exposed, wires exposed. These dudes were like techie college students. And so they literally would climb out the third story window up to the roof and like steal Wi-Fi because that's how you had to do things because of the temporary nature of the building, right? Now, clearly the people who were building it were like, this is temporary. It doesn't really matter. So yeah, exposed pipes, who cares? It's, it's just, we're going to tear this down. This is gone. Now, Foca was built as temporary housing for a flood in 1964. <laughs> if the builders knew that what they were doing actually mattered, that it was not just temporary, that it would last, how would that change what they did? They wouldn't build something like it didn't matter, right? They would build it with care. They would build it like it did matter, like it wasn't just temporary. If we understand that our work in the Lord is not in vain, that this isn't just temporary, that this isn't all consigned for the rubbish bin, how do we live differently? We live like it matters. Death is not forever. It's temporary. Life is forever. It doesn't make it vain. It doesn't nullify all you've done. How? What, it, what is it that we're supposed to do? Because, I mean, there are ways to waste your life, even if you have eternal life. I'm just going to say it. Being an influencer, probably not what Paul had in mind for the work of the Lord that isn't in vain. Okay, Seeking popularity and notoriety and fame. Seeking fleeting pleasures instead of God's work. The internet, generally speaking, not, not you guys who build cool stuff on it, but like, you know, there's a lot. There, like, yeah. Probably social media rabbit holes are probably not what Paul has in mind for what's going to last and not be in vain. Instead, the work of the Lord. What does Paul mean by the work of the Lord? Well, there's one, there's one definition that is certain from 1 Corinthians. Every time Paul uses the phrase work of the Lord in 1 Corinthians, he refers to the building up of God's people, investing in the church community, right? And so teaching, discipling, loving one another, caring for one another, these are the sorts of things that Paul says are not in vain because the sting of death is removed because we because God answers death. Now, I'm going to step slightly outside of, of the immediate uh, work of the Lord that Paul means to a couple of things that are very biblically safe. 
work of creation is God's work too. I don't think anybody's going to fight me on that one, right? Creation is God's work. And when you put your hand to create something, that is doing God's work. Bringing order out of chaos is the work of God. Those of you with a gift for music, for art, for fixing things, for making things, that is God's work too. Those of you who build institutions, those of you who build families, right? this, is, this is the work of God. Also, very clearly from the scripture, redemption is the work of God. The pushing back the effects of the fall, the bringing of the peace and justice of Christ's kingdom now. So those of you who are involved in medicine or law or justice or what have you, it is not in vain, folks. How all this is, is, is not in vain? I don't know. It's a mystery of the faith. Have faith in Jesus. Okay? I don't know exactly how it all works out. I don't know exactly how the works of our hands and our work for the Lord shows up in the kingdom and is not simply wiped away. But it is promised. As surely as Christ rose, so life is not in vain. Because God answers death. And we need to live like it matters. Jesus, I pray that you would convince the big parts of our minds and hearts that have a hard time believing. A hard time believing that you have fully and finally answered death, willfully and finally answered death. Hope that the grave is not the end. Hope that eternal life is what you actually have for us. I pray that you would strengthen our weak faith, that we could live as people who live like life matters. In Jesus' name.